Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Jeff Perlman. He is the author of Football for a Buck, The Bad Guys One, Boys Will Be Boys, Showtime, Sweetness, and Gunslinger. His new book is Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Craziest Years of the Lakers Dynasty, which is published by our friends at Hofton Mifflin Harcourt Publishing Company. Jeff, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. Good to do it. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Jeff, first things first, um, you have a podcast that is very similar to this one called Two Writers Slinging Yang. It's a great podcast and listeners, I recommend you check it out. Uh, Jeff, what are a couple of your favorite conversations that have come out of your podcast? Oh, man. Um, I did my favorite rapper, Royce the Five Nine, a few months ago, which was a joy for me. Uh, Tom Verducci, a longtime Sports Illustrated writer. Susan Orlean is great. Um... Yeah, I you know I just I love talking writing. It's my favorite thing to talk about more than sports, more than politics is writing. Mm-hmm. So uh, any chance I get to do it is uh, is pretty good for me. Right on. Thank you so much. And Jeff, let's dive into this book, Three Ring Circus, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. You write at the beginning of this book that. While this is the chronicling of the 1996 to 2004 Los Angeles Lakers, it is, in a sense, the story of the development of Kobe Bryant as both a professional basketball player and a fully functioning human being. Jeff, was it necessary to add this disclaimer to explain that Kobe was a different person when he was a teenager than he was later in life? Um, I think so for two reasons. Number one, I was worried about the book coming out and people saying, oh, look at this, some guy, you know, taking advantage of, you know, writing a quick hit book to make money off of, you know, Kobe's death and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like, that was a real worry. And then, um, number two, because, you know, I just think when he died, um, it really hit me. Like, it really hit me. And the awareness that this guy, who I, you know, I spent two years writing about this guy mm. during a certain time periods. It was, it was on Kobe and young. We could be a real pain in the ass. And it's easy to forget when you're hyper-focused on one period in time that someone wasn't always that person who mm. came along later was different. So I just, uh, I know I just thought it was sort of a uh, an important thing to remember, especially in life of his death. The, the guy you're going to read about isn't necessarily the guy who, you know, the dad of four, Academy Award winner, youth basketball coach, he was just a different guy later in life. Right, and... Um of course, Kobe Bryant uh, died earlier in the year, and you write about Magic Johnson's announcement that he had to retire from the NBA because he had tested positive for HIV as one of those where was I when moments, and I do remember where I was then. I was in my parents' living room watching ESPN, but Kobe's death has to be one of those moments as well, correct? I mean, I think for some people, uh, for me, it was pretty big. I was sitting in a corner bakery in Irvine, California, mm. waiting to pick my kids up from Hebrew school. And I actually picked them up and I said to my son, who's not a diehard basketball fan, but he's a sports fan, I said, uh, I just, you know, he's like, what? And I said, Kobe Brown. And he, his reaction was, okay, where are we going for lunch? You know, he's mm. young. Like, it didn't hit him in the way that, you know, I think it hit some people. Right. But, uh, for me... It's, it's almost more that it, it's almost the, the age of it all. It's like Chadwick Boseman dying recently. And you're like, man, it's just so shocking because it's, it's someone who is young. And, and the thing that I think is really sad about Kobe 
because I feel like he was about to enter the good part of his life. Like, like I feel like for all the basketball stuff and the highs and lows and the winning and blah, 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 I think there's, there's a real joy in just being a dad and being trying new things. And, you know, when you're an athlete, you do the same thing over and over and over again. And he was trying new things. He was doing stuff that was totally different and unique. And I think he was heading into this really great period of his life. So I think for death, I mean, among other things, mm. it's just that there was some, some really good stuff coming along that he would not get to enjoy. Yeah, I agree. And um, I have to tell you, Jeff, I am a huge basketball nerd. I'm a basketball junkie. And um, I, you know, watched Kobe Bryant playing uh throughout his whole career and I could not stand him as a basketball player. I did not like Kobe Bryant. But um, one day, a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Kobe eating breakfast um, and I, you know, I I was being a, a nerd and I went and I said hi to him and then I asked him uh, i played a pickup basketball game at north carolina state university every week and i said hey there's this guy in my league Dwayne, who's lights out from three point range like how do i guard this guy and kobe got up and like put me in a defensive stance and like went through a whole drill here beside his breakfast table um changed my whole outlook on him as a person um and so I have to ask you, were you able to talk to Kobe when you were writing this book? And if so, or if not, what was your impression of Kobe Bryant? Uh, how was it different after you completed the process versus before you started? So he didn't talk. I got Shaq. I got Phil. I did not get Kobe, mm-hmm. which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of how it works in, in biography. You don't always know who you're going to get and who you won't. Mm-hmm. She just reported really hard. I would say, um, huh, I mean... The guy he was during that period when you did not like him mm-hmm. is sort of, he was hard to like in a lot of ways. Yeah. He was arrogant and he was dismissive and he was not the best teammate and he was kind of selfish and self absorbed. And I think a lot of that was insecurity. Like he was just really insecure and he, you know, he, he kind of grew up in a weird bubble like mm-hmm. a lot of young celebrities do where uh, he didn't get to develop all his societal, you know, all the functioning skills of a, of a normal adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need. We need experience. It's like getting rejected by someone we ask out and failing our getting a job, selling, you know, need experiences like that. And he didn't really have that. So mm-hmm. I think I actually developed a good dose of empathy for him because I think the person he was, who a lot of people did not enjoy early on, mm-hmm. it was a really a byproduct of just how he was brought up. And it's not to say his parents are bad parents, but he was raised in a bubble. You know, he really was raised in a bubble. And so I think the number one thing I developed was a little empathy for him and then appreciation for how he sort of changed as he got older. I guess those are the two main areas. Right. Thank you, Jeff. And Kobe was a hyper competitive individual, probably more so than any individual basketball player of the past several decades with the possible exclusion of Michael Jordan, possibly. Uh, But you write of Kobe. In Kobe's world, nothing is a game ever not checkers not chess not connect four so my question for you jeff is why include connect four here oh for no reason except i love connect four and my play at our house and i was just trying to find something that i could use as an example that's a funny question yeah Yeah. there was no uh there was no there was no connect four connection to kobe ryan i was just trying to make an example of different games um i don't think there's ever been anyone like him as far as the competitiveness element and just how nothing is a Nothing is just an exhibition to him. Nothing is just, we're just playing parts easy. Nothing, ever. And um, 
in a lot of ways, that made him unlikable. I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes hanging out with people like that. You know, like, I don't want to play, I don't want to play Connect Four with somebody who has to win a Connect Four. That's no fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there was no great reason for Connect Four, except I just thought it was funny. Yeah, well, Connect Four is a sneakily strategic game, as I'm sure you've sure is, your kids. which I suck at. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Jeff Perlman. One man, one sauce, one desire to take your taste buds on a journey of a lifetime. Introducing Bernie Wilde's Adventure Sauce. Be ready to experience a rush of excitement, a hint of danger, a plethora of anticipation, an abundance in flavor, a possibility of romance. Hey, 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 I got this. Hi, folks. Mike Rosado here, host of the Pencil Pushers podcast. I wanted to take a moment to share with you a new heat sauce that some of my friends and I have created called, that's right, Bernie Wilde's Adventure Adventure sauce, the all-purpose condiment sauce with a kick you've been waiting for. Bernie Wilds was made to put excitement back into your kitchen. It's perfect for tossing into salads and pastas, drizzling on burgers, tacos, and takeout, or just straight up dipping. Not only is Bernie Wilds Adventure Sauce packed full of flavor, it's also vegan, gluten-free, and made with no preservatives or stabilizers, making it good for you, good for the environment, and hands down delicious. But as ready as we are to share it with you in the world, we still need the funds to get it into production and onto your plate we've got a 30-day kickstarter running from october 14th through november 13th and with your help we can get it done just go to berniewiles.com and sign up for our mailing list to be the first bernie backer that's b-u-r-n-y-w-i-l-d-s.com as we take our maiden voyage of bernie wilds adventure song Kazam! I'm back with Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. Jeff, before we dive back into your book, I'd like to talk about the current NBA Finals. I fully expected uh, for this series to be over before I got the chance to talk to you about this book. But as we sit here recording the Heat won Game 3 last night, it looks like this is going to be a series or at least a series that does not end during the vice presidential debate, uh, assuming that that still happens. Um, This is obviously a special season for the Lakers considering the circumstances that they are trying to win one for Kobe, that LeBron James is trying to make his case uh, for the greatest of all time, which I don't think he is, by the way. I've got him sixth. Um, Anthony Davis is trying to win his first title. J.R. Smith is trying to be the best bench hype man that he can be. Do you, Jeff, think that the Lakers win this series, uh, which will likely be over by the time this is published? And do you think LeBron has a case for being a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant? Oh, um, I think the Lakers will win this series. I think LeBron is a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant. Um, yeah, I don't think he's better in Jordan. I don't think he's better in Kareem. Mm. I've always said Kareem and Jordan is my one and two is the best players ever. Same. Um, from my base of knowledge. But no, I think, I think overall, if you look at the body, I would say LeBron. Mm. I mean, I understand the arguments against him, but I would say overall, I think his, his overall resume now is, is a little better than Kobe. I think he was, I mean, I just, being honest, like I think LeBron is a better teammate than Kobe. I think he was more of a team player than Kobe. Um, Kobe was a marvelous talent. You know, certainly he and LeBron were, you know, parallel levels of talent. I just think at the end of the day, um, a lot of what Kobe did early in his career. Um, I mean, people don't like this, but like Shaquille O'Neal was the most dominant player in the NBA mm-hmm. by far, and it helped a young Kobe Bryant to be paired with with Shaq so 
I don't know. You probably disagree with me, but I would say LeBron is a better player than Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I you know if LeBron wins one or two more rings, I would definitely put him up there. Um, but I like you. I have Jordan and Kareem one and two. Um, Jeff, could you see Cedric Sabalos leading a team to an NBA Finals Game Three victory in the manner that Jimmy Butler did with the Heat last night? I could not. You remember Cedric Sabalos? Yeah, absolutely. I remember yeah. winning a slam dunk. Well, I feel like if you if you nickname yourself Chase. Right. your franchise as in you are the franchise player mm-hmm. um, I mean it's one thing if you're Kobe Bryant nicknaming yourself Black Mamba but you actually are that level of a player mm-hmm. um, no where Cedric Ceballos went nobody followed right <laughs> right on um, let's jump back into your book here when Kobe Bryant announced that he was leaving high school for the NBA he said in his press conference Kobe Bryant is taking his talents to the NBA first uh, do you think LeBron James intended to echo both the ridiculous nature of this press conference and the statement of taking his talents somewhere else when he announced that he was leaving the Cavaliers uh, for the first time to go to the Heat and secondly Jeff uh, why use the third person here was Kobe influenced maybe by Ricky Henderson <laughs> I know I was influenced by Rick. Ricky Anderson is my favorite baseball player as a kid or one of them. Mine too. Um, yeah, that's very funny. Uh, I think uh, it comes with the arrogance. Mm. I was uh, intentionally mimicking. I just think he too had the arrogance of youth. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody outdid Ricky for Ricky. I mean, Ricky actually referred to himself as Ricky when he would talk about Ricky. So you'd have Ricky talking <laughs> about Ricky as Ricky. So no matter what Kobe or LeBron did, because Kobe wasn't usually saying Kobe's going to do blah, blah, blah. And Ricky would actually say Ricky's going to do it. I think you need to get a Ricky and explain to you what Ricky would do if Ricky were doing it. Because then Ricky would explain it very well as Ricky. Right on. Um, thank you, Jeff. And I think uh, if this podcast is published on Monday as I intend this will be the second episode in a row where we reference Ricky Henderson speaking about himself in the third person so that's a success for sure um, that is fantastic ah uh, yeah isn't it and Jeff I remember all of this very vividly because I grew up in a family with Charlotte Hornets season tickets uh, from 1989 forward and Kobe was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets but his agent already had a trade worked out uh, to Los Angeles Kobe Adidas and Kobe's agent only wanted him in New York or Los Angeles but Kobe in a bit of revisionist history used the Hornet trade of him as motivation to get going uh, when he was playing the Hornets and probably other teams as well this is a trick that might Michael Jordan became famous for inventing slights to motivate himself. Uh, can you talk about how Kobe paralleled Jordan in this way and even others, if you like? Well, Shaq did that too. Shaq, you made up a story about David Robinson being mean to him as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, it was total bullshit. So, you know, it's one of those things that they do where they, you know, they, it's weird how some athletes need to build up fake slights in order to learn. Like you would think the motivation with Kobe would be I'm playing in the NBA against the best players ever, so that's my motivation to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean he definitely mimicked Jordan in many ways I don't know if specifically he was doing it there mm-hmm. but his whole thing when he wanted to become Jordan he wanted to be Jordan he wanted to play like Jordan he wanted to have the career Jordan had and, you know sort of everything he did was aimed in many ways at becoming Jordan mm-hmm. so when you see him behave in similar manners to Jordan it's not that um, surprising because he, he sort of was raised with a Jordan outlook on basketball if that makes sense Right. Thank you, Jeff. And of course, as a young man, I wanted Kobe on the Hornets. We ended up with Vlade Divac uh, and a bunch of other guys from that team as well. Eddie Jones, Ellen Campbell, um, etc. What a time to be alive that was. Uh, 
let's talk about Shaq. I remember the drama with the newspaper headline in Orlando when Shaq was considering whether to stay with the Magic or to take his talents elsewhere uh, very well. Shaq had a good thing going in Orlando with Penny Hardaway and Horace Grant. Um, Of course, they probably weren't getting past Jordan again no matter what he did, but Shaq both wanted to be the man on a basketball team and also wanted to be a movie star. Uh, He partially left the Magic and went to L.A. so he could be in movies, but the movies he chose uh, were Kazam and Steel. Steel, which was one of the four Superman characters that DC Comics invented when they killed Superman off in the 90s. Um, Obviously, Shaq did great with the Lakers, three championships and later a fourth with the Heat, but do you think if Shaq were given a time machine, knowing what he knows now about Kazam and Steel, that he would have stayed in Orlando? (laughs) No, I do not. I actually don't think he was that bothered by those movies. I don't... Mm -hmm. I don't think he expected to be Marlon Brando in Streetcar. You know, like I think he, uh, there's all just a big gag to him. Like, you're going to pay me $10 million to be a genie in a movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, like, great. I'm in. Like, uh, there's all just a gag to him. All this stuff was a gag to him in a good way. He didn't take it too seriously. So, and also, I, I resent you. Uh, I think your depiction of, of Steel is way off. I mean, Steel is one of the finest superhero movies ever, ever created. So I, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm offended by your take on that. <laughs> it's been a long time since I saw Steel, but um, maybe I'll revisit it due to your yep. offense there. Uh, produced by Quincy Jones, of course. Maybe a masterpiece of cinema. I don't know. Supposedly, um, Shaft playing Steel was Christian Bale's uh, sort of influence for his portrayal of the Dark Knight. Oh, geez. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Um, good, Jeff. Thanks. And listen there's a lot more I could talk to you about here basketball and books are two of my favorite pastimes Uh, one of them is my profession we haven't even been able to talk about how much of a goofball Magic Johnson is Uh, but I do want to ask you about Phil because he Phil Jackson is named in your book subtitle Uh, and Phil Jackson is also a writer himself at least in theory Um, Phil of course coached Michael Jordan and the Bulls to six titles coached Shaq and Kobe to three titles left the Lakers and then came back to the Lakers to coach Kobe to two more um during his two tenures with the Lakers, Phil Jackson wrote two books that presented two very different pictures of Kobe. The first was The Last Season. Uh, I'm sure you've read it. One gets the sense when reading this book that Phil Jackson hates Kobe Bryant, as least, at least as much as a Zen master can hate someone. Um, much of the book revolves around Kobe's rape case. Phil thinks he did it one senses. It is very, very interesting book that paints a very different picture of phil and kobe's relationship than the later book 11 rings uh which to its credit does go into a little bit of detail regarding the fallout surrounding the first book and how kobe perceived it at the time can you tell us a bit about how phil jackson and kobe bryant's relationship formed matured and changed over time from the beginning uh even up to kobe's death in the present day um i probably can't give you a ton on the present day i can tell you when Phil arrived in L.A., um, he was a choice for both Kobe and Shaq. They both wanted Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. And Kobe loved the idea of Shaq coming, of uh, Phil coming, of Tex Winter coming, the architect of the triangle, of him playing for the guy who sort of, in his eyes, made Michael Jordan or took Michael Jordan to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he was used to the idea of being sort of the number two guy. And, and Phil made it clear very early on that this offense is running around Shaq Shaq is the centerpiece Kobe you're you're the second guy Um, I think as a younger player though he felt I don't have much of a choice in this so I'm going to do my best with it 
But as he got older and as he started getting frustrated with Shaq, especially with the free throws, with weight gain, uh, Kobe really started to bristle with this idea that he had to be the number two guy. Like, it really pissed him off. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time they were done with the 0304 season, I mean, Kobe was done with it. He didn't want to listen to it. He didn't want to hear about the triangle. He hated the triangle. He just wanted to shoot. If you look at a lot of his games that year, there's a lot of, like, 7 for 22 kind of sh- shooting nights. It's probably the reason, one of the reasons you hated Kobe back then as a player is just he, he did have this selfish streak about him mm-hmm. that Phil really struggled with. Um, by the time they were done with the 04 season, Kobe wanted nothing to do with Phil Jackson whatsoever. And I really think the only reason, I think basically what happened is that 04 05 season, Ray Tom Donovan comes in. He, he can't coach the whole year. Frank Hamlin is in. Um, there were huge departures from Phil Jackson. And by the end of it, Kobe realizes what he had in this guy. And the second act of Kobe and was a much smoother act than uh, than the first. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. And the you know the big swinging point for me in my perception of Kobe Bryant and the reason I disliked him was I think it was a playoff game where the Lakers were um, heavily favored to win, and Kobe decided he wasn't shooting at all that game because the press had been ragging on him or his teammates, I guess, about how he never passed the ball. So he decided he was just going to pass the ball for every possession yeah. of that game to prove a point. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting times. Again, thank you, Jeff. And thank you for writing this book. Uh, it was a pleasure to read, and it is, of course, very timely uh, for more reason than one. Listeners, I've been speaking with Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, published by our friends at Hofton Mifflin Harcourt Publishing Company. A reminder that you can purchase Three Ring Circus and any other book with free shipping to anywhere in the continental United States from www.quailridgebooks.com. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. I just want to tell you, my next book is going to be an oral history of the making of Kazam. So I think you will love that, too. (laughs) Nice. That sounds outstanding. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Thanks a lot. Once again, I would like to thank Jeff Perlman for joining me. Copies of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the craziest years of the Lakers dynasty can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would like to thank our new sponsor, the folks over at Bernie Wilds Adventure Sauce. Please navigate over to berniewilds.com. That's B-U-R-N-Y-W-I-L-D-S.com. And and support them in their 30-day Kickstarter. Get some of that delicious sauce on your table. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.